Welcome, affiliated listeners, to another episode of the Affiliated Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my co-host, the wonderful, the amazing, the surprisingly tall, Thomas McMahon. How are you doing today, Thomas? I'm great. Yes, much taller in person than I am. I'm yes, much taller in yeah. person. The opposite is true for me. So, um, <laughs> But we, we are really excited because we're going to be having a great conversation today, and I think a conversation that's really impactful to right now because we see a lot of businesses oftentimes um, when maybe the front end starts uh, acquisition gets a little bit more challenging there's more competition you know there's economy lots of different factors um, oftentimes people get really really stressed and one where the focus should be is where's my LTV where am I making money in the back end the strong parts and lifeblood of a business tend to live in the back end and today we're actually with our guest today um, we're going to be talking about how a custom formulation and a supplement could directly correlate to some really outstanding LTV numbers. And to have that conversation with us today, we are joined by Elwin Robinson, good friend, amazing individual, super, super smart. How are you doing today, Elwin? Thank you so much for that introduction. Thanks for having me. Always good to have you. And I know it's uh, a little bit later over across the pond um, that Ellen's joining us today um, with his great setup. Uh, so yeah, let's jump into it. So um, you know, this conversation actually started with something where um, you had showed this recently to um, you know some clients that I'd, I'd connected to you with a question. Um, and there were some really amazing stats. And I won't steal away from you, but just to let everyone understand kind of what we're talking about, why don't you share a little bit about some of the numbers um, that you were sharing with others that got people so impressive and kind of facilitated this conversation. Uh, yeah, it was basically looking at our, at our best customers. So we have all categorized in a system called Entreport. And, you know, our top customers have spent almost $20,000 with us just in supplements in the last few years. Um, there's a few who spent over $15,000. But the interesting thing is once you get below $15,000, like the first page is like 15, 14, 13, 13, 13, 13, 14. But then like the rest of the page is all, you know, up to 12. And then the next page is 12, 12, 12, 12, you know, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11. And basically there's like hundreds of customers who spend over $10,000. And I didn't really realize how unusual that is in our industry. Now, we also sold eBooks, but that's very very little of it so i'm just adding i mean that's maybe you know two percent i mean are these like a walgreens <laughs> reselling your supplements like <laughs> are these just very expensive um, supplements yeah it, it's interesting the the customers is not who you'd think without giving any away any anonymity i mean the the biggest one is actually a medical doctor uh in california um one of the biggest was a head of a private security company in a uh west african nation i mean you know it's um it's a real interesting uh, ragtag group of uh, uh, people. But uh, yeah, and what I didn't realize about that is how unusual it was, certainly in our industry and probably in the supplement industry in general, but certainly in our industry. And so that prompted a whole conversation about how do you get those loyal customers who b literally buy everything that you put out, who love you, who recommend you, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, just to step back a little bit, I think a couple of things just to help frame why these numbers are so impactful. And then we'll talk about the, the impact and how that could change your business. But super amazing to have just pages, hundreds of customers that have generated, you know, over $10,000 in sales is, is, is huge and obviously huge impact. But it wasn't like you guys are some sort of standard e-com store that has this huge e-com experience with PPC, things like that. Um, you know, yeah. really the basis of this is what a lot of companies are probably familiar with, with 
long form sales pages, um, a lot of affiliate marketing, and really that's how a lot the majority of the business grew. So just to establish that, and we're talking about a men's health supplement as well, um, you know, or a, a range of men's health supplements. So I know there's more than one there, um, but one of the big keys here is that it's not a off the rack kind of product. This is a custom formulation that really, really produces great results for the consumers, so much so that even at a higher price point, they're coming back time and time again. So Ellen, talk a little bit about how that's changed, you know, your business and, and really impacted you personally in terms of the decisions you've been able to make with the business and, and it just in general, how you operate when you have that type of, you know, bottom line revenue coming in. Uh, yeah. So just to explain, yeah, there's not many products. Obviously, I do own a different business with thousands of products um, in the e-commerce store. And then it does make sense that people would spend that much eventually. But no, we, we are talking about about seven or eight products in total, of which three or four account for most of the sales. So yeah, it's the same products over and over again. Um, and yeah, why do people buy them? Because they work for them, right? Um, so how does that impact our business? Well, it means that the LTV is high, which means that you can afford to spend more to acquire a customer than anyone else. It also means that even though we have not been, I would never take advice from me about how to uh, be as successful as possible in the front end at acquiring customers, right? There are people who are way, way more successful who've been on this podcast who can share about that. Um, the thing that I feel like we really got a grip on more than almost anyone else in our industry though, is how to maximize the value of those customers once you've acquired them. So even though we weren't very good at front end acquisition, even though we never you know, got a blockbuster hit and had million dollar sales a month and millions of dollars a month and all that kind of stuff, we still managed to build a real business. And I think that's one of the um, distinctions as well which is to me like a real business is something that lasts for years and years that has equity that grows that um uh you know accrues value over time and that can be relied upon right so meaning if uh with our business if you took away our front end new customer acquisition strategies it we would be very very upset but the business would still exist, right? We could still, we still have our existing customers who keep coming back to us month after month. We have people on subscription who come back month after month. So it gives a certain amount of um, confidence or comfort, I guess, to know that you're not entirely at the whims of affiliates, even though affiliates are great. And yes, the vast majority of our traffic as in 95% plus has come from affiliates. So it's totally a ClickBank business and come from ClickBank affiliates. So it totally is one of those businesses, but uh, yeah, it's been very good to be able to build a real business on top of that. And I am surprised how few people do it. And I feel like the real wasted opportunity when I see people who um, are doing really well at front end acquisition, way better than us, uh, you know, they've cracked something that we haven't achieved. And yeah, they're making razor thin profit margins. Um, they're, you know, they have this huge spike in sales and then it dips and maybe at some point they're actually making even minus amount because now all the refunds are coming in from the sales before. Like when you have that kind of situation, um, I mean, I guess it's, it's if, if that's what you're into, then great. But to me, I much, much prefer the consistent month and year. And, you know, that business that I talked about that has, 
yeah, hundreds of customers who spent over $10,000, you know, thousands of customers who spent over $5,000. Um, with that business, it's really nice that it is a business that's been around eight years and will continue to be around as long as we run it. Well, I think that's huge, right? The fact that you have eight years and it hasn't had to be a brand new product. It isn't a brand new brand. You're not starting and rebuilding over and over and over again, where that could be great, you know, when you hit a great acquisition hit. Um, we all know that, you know, that's hard. It's hard to hit hit after hit in the acquisition game. Um, but when you really unlock that back end and have that LTV, it just smooths it out. You could really create profit and generate, like you said, real business and real profit for such a longer period of time, um, which I think oftentimes just allows you to make better decisions in your business, at least different ones. You're coming from a different point of leverage than you otherwise could. So definitely really impactful. Um, Thomas, any thoughts on uh, just kind of that strategy or just at least the, the impact of what that type of LTV could do to a business? Well, I was curious, like when you're talking about these customers with the you know four or five figure LTV numbers there, like what type of average order value or product price are they coming in on? Is it like a, yeah, like, so yeah, I guess what would be like your initial checkout kind of value, if you will, for those kinds of customers? Yeah, those are not average LTV values. Those are like the top customers, just to clarify. Right. It's just that mm -hmm. from what I heard with many, many businesses, they haven't got any people who spend that much. But yeah, um, our average order value coming in, I don't think is different from any other, you know, mid to top offer. Uh, Thomas, I think it's, uh, you know, depending on the product, maybe 150 to $200, something like that. It really is all coming from the back end. Not that we're super amazing at getting that high average order value to begin with. Okay, cool. Thank you. Now, yeah. I think some people might assume you might be doing high ticket phone sales or something, helping drive up some of those, you know, numbers on the back end initially or something like that. But the, the fact that they're, you know, doing coming in on a low ticket average ticket, if you will, and then just sticking with you for that long and just rebuying is probably a testament to that product quality. I was curious, is there like a general um, main pain point they're kind of solving with these uh, supplements that they're typically buying for the ones that are doing the four and five figure LTVs? Yeah, these are men's supplements. So this is, you know, low testosterone, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, men's vitality, men's virility, whatever we want to call it. And of course, that is an sure. industry that is rife with uh, even lower trust and even lower quality than the average dietary supplement industry, unfortunately, is. So, you know, on one hand, you could say, oh, well, that's a highly motivated market maybe it's easier for you but on the other hand it's a very very low trust market which and a low traffic availability market that's made it much more difficult so mm -hmm. i guess it's uh you know some some pros some cons well and i even argue highly competitive right like that is a space that especially recently yes. over the past couple of years has had very large I would say more um, clinical or corporate influences as well with your hymns and things like that that have gone to the market. So um, definitely, definitely tough, but I think a testament to what could really be done when you think about that. So let's actually, I think that transitions really nicely into great. Those are great LTV numbers, but as Thomas said, like what really makes that happen? You know, if you're acquiring, you know, similarly to what most people are in the supplement industry right now, possibly even less than they are what are you doing that's so different outside the fact that this is custom formulation i want you to address that as well and we could talk about that more specifics but in general is it just a custom formulation is there anything else that you need to have in place to really i'm not going to say guarantee but hope that you could start maybe achieving higher ltv numbers with the customers that you do get 
Uh, yes, having helped a few, you know, successful ClickBank um, brands with this now, I can say that there's four things that are usually missing that I identified that we do, which can really transform things. Um, so the first one is real high quality customer service, including phone support. I'm doing kind of maybe the least important one first, but it, it still is very important. When I say real, I mean that the person who is doing the answering of the phone or the answering of the emails has had a thorough briefing about what your business is and understands it. And when a customer contacts them, they actually understand the question and they understand not just your sales processes, but also, you know, what your customer avatar is, what their goals are, what their frustrations are, why they're coming to you in the first place. Um, and then having that phone support makes a really big deal. Um, we don't spend that much to provide it. We use a company called HelpGrid, who I'm happy to give a shout out to uh, if that's allowed. Um, mm -hmm. They're really awesome. We've been using them for many years now. They answer the phone 20 hours a day, 363 days a year. And the cost of having that service is very small. In fact, we go through it with them every month. And every month they charge us less than they manage to recoup for us in lost um, card declines and lost subscriptions. So they're always a net positive ROI just based on those two factors alone. Plus, I think, and this is harder for me to prove, but I think the fact that you always have someone available on the phone says a lot about your trustworthiness and reliability as a business. Also, do not have a no reply email address that you email from. This just signals utter contempt to the customer. Like I, uh, the only people who should be doing that are customers who have a monopoly on a particular industry because of you know government interference and who can get away with it. Uh, if you're not that, then it is absolutely foolish to have a no reply address. So. Talk to your customers or have someone else who talks to your customers who knows what they're doing. Check in with them regularly. Um, I would say give that ability to answer the phone. That's a huge, yeah, first step. No, no. And first, a great shout out to Jeannie and the Help Grid team. They do a fantastic job over there for sure. Um, but I think you're very right with phone sales. The credibility of a voice on the other end and especially a very – distrusting environment of digital sales like ever there's so especially we could argue supplements as well there's been an increase in competition with a decrease in trust phone sales really help not even phone sales but phone support really bridges that gap of creating some human to human trust um and honestly when you have great services that could do it at a good price like you'd be silly not to i also like the good uh, add on the do not reply email there is nothing like a middle finger of take this and you do, don't get a respond in any way, shape or form that doesn't say I'd like to stay with this company. So, so that's a good point. Anything to add to that, Thomas? I'm curious, like with the, what are you doing um, on the email side after, can they go through maybe the phone ascension and the initial phone support um, or just for the general customer? Like, is there a chance to rebuy or doing different things on the resale for email? Like how does that kind of flow work for y'all? That's a good question. That brings me to number two. Uh, intelligent follow-up. Hey, look at that. Uh, what a great transition. Look, it's almost like we practiced, even though we didn't. <laughs> um, so we do certain uh, sequences, campaigns, automations, whatever you call them, as standard. So we always have a card decline camp, 
campaign um that is both an email campaign and then we have a trigger to go to help grid to follow up with them by phone if uh, the email is not enough we do a um uh, abandoned car campaign i'm sure everyone's familiar with what one of those are um we do a um but then we do okay then we do a customer campaign and we do um, an ingratiation campaign so the ingratiation campaign goes to first time customers who've never bought anything of ours before and so this is just uh talking about us and our company and our mission and offering to help and stuff like that that we don't do that as i said any time other than the very first time someone buys this is something that I learned, you know, many years ago from uh, a marketer. It's basically just showing again that you care, positioning yourself. Often there'll be an email in there, like asking a question, like what are the top three things that you'd like help with or something like that to try and get that uh, engagement, that back and forth, and also to actually obviously understand the customer. Now, every time, so that's the first time someone buys anything. The first time someone buys a new specific product with us, we also send out uh, what we call our education campaign. What does this mean? Well, this kind of relates a little bit to point three, but this is where whatever their issue is that has got them coming in uh, looking for help, we're giving them probably several emails linking to several blog posts, ideally, although it can just be an email if you don't want to publish a blog post or an article. And it's basically just saying, here's all the other stuff that's going to help with your issue, right? So if I pick something less contentious, uh, like weight loss, right? So if we're selling a weight loss supplement, then the first email might be, here's all the exercise strategies that I recommend for weight loss, right? Don't overdo it with cardio, but make sure you do three days a week. And here's how you do it without injuring yourself, all of that kind of stuff, right? And then the second email might be dietary, right? Here's how I recommend eating. Here's, you know, um, uh, how often you should eat, here's how much protein you should have, here's how many carbs you should have, whatever, right? All of that kind of stuff. And then the third email might be, you know, a bunch of recipes. So just as an example, that is showing the person that you actually care about them getting the result. I would not advertise this as a bonus beforehand because you know, as we know in marketing, like people just want a quick fix. They just want to take a magic pill. They don't want to know that they're going to get all this education after they buy because they want to think that it's easy. No, I'm going However, to learn something. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> However, I like we do this. We have done this originally just because we feel it's the ethical thing to do. That if you're offering to help people, then you need to provide them with all the information. If they then choose not to do it, then of course that's up to them. It also positions you as an expert and authority, which we'll talk about. That's uh, my point three. Um, and it also, th and those emails get great open rates and great click-through rates because you're not selling anything. So what does that do? It tells the ESPs that the person's actually interested in receiving your emails, right? So we really like to do that as well. Another sequence that we always do is an well, upsell. I, I want to stop real, real Sorry. fast, Owen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you on that one, uh, just because I mm -hmm. want uh, some really good points. I think one thing they're really to say that not only is it not selling, not only you're giving the information and, and kind of great point on that the ethical side. I think one thing that is kind of lost, and I think it's really important why you don't sell this on the front end page. Not only do people maybe not care. 
But when you show it as a benefit or you're just giving the information freely, you're becoming a source of truth in their life. And that's incredibly impactful. The more we could become certain points of truth to the buyers, the more likely they are to come back and buy. It's not only a trust thing, but now you become a source of information and truth. And like I, I know I talk a lot about cults, not as much as I have uh, recently as I have in the past. But if you look at cults and religions, one of the biggest things they do is they become as many sources of truth of information as they can. And the most dedicated followers are the ones that are consuming only the truth from one single entity, um, which makes them very valuable from an LTV standpoint and you very good as a cult leader. But we're not doing that here. We're just selling supplements. And um, the more that you create that valuable content that creates that truth, the more likely they are to come back. I just thought that was a really good point. So anyway, go back to the other campaign. Uh, yeah, thank you. I 100% agree. Um, so we also do an upsell non-buyer campaign always. So what this, and this is again, what I mean by intelligent follow-up. So you do have to tie your ClickBank account to the email account to be able to do that accurately. And we, we use Entreport for that. And there's a nice ClickBank integration there. Um, and so basically um, a few hours after they haven't decided to take that upsell and then the next day, maybe a couple of days later, something like that, maybe two or three times, depending, um, we will recommend the upsell again. Now, if the only upsell was more of the same, we may do that, but we prefer to do that with different complementary products that are, that are in the upsell flow. So, uh, you know, if it's, how are, um, you, how are you timing that? Like if I, if I bought something, didn't take your upsells, are you waiting for the numbers to receive that first product before they start getting those emails? Or are they getting those right away? Like what's that timing uh, for those upsell sequence emails? So I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think it's two, three, four hours for the first one, uh, like 24 hours, and then maybe another three to seven days. I think we've tried different versions, but the idea being pretty immediate, right? When it's still fresh in their mind, next day, try again. And then the third one will be hopefully, as you say, after they actually receive it. But as I say, we usually do it more with the products that are not more of the same and so mm -hmm. the fact that they haven't received the first product yet is kind of therefore not so relevant about pitching the upsell that makes do sense. you guys do you guys lead with discount for that first short time frame one or are you assuming that they may be abandoned or need, didn't even see the complimentary offer so you're just trying to get a second view at it uh, that's a good question so you know you talked about being a source of truth in the pe person's life which i really like um I think you want to be a source of integrity in the person's life. And so when I see, for instance, you know, people refusing an offer and then a little pop-up comes up and goes, oh, well, you can have it for cheaper then. To me, that instantly, it may work because the person's like, oh, I was, you know, on the fence now. If, it's, if you're now going to offer it to me for less, then I'll take it. But the thing is, that person is then never going to trust you again from my perspective because they're always going to know that, um, you know, what you say is not your final word on things. So um, we do not offer it for cheaper later for that reason than we offered it originally um, because we don't want to be playing those kind of games. Um, we will offer it the same price they come. I'm not sure if you're asking about if we'd sell it for more, but yeah, we offer it for the same price as uh, when they didn't take it as an upsell. And we'll, we might put some scarcity on it, right? Because 
it really will be the last chance, you know, like with the final email, okay, last time I'm going to offer it to you at this price. So that's, you know, genuine and then we'll do that. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great mention that, um, again, we're wanting to build trust and truth in these conversations. So I think it's important to know that, you know, um, that that's a piece of it where it might be easy to go hit up discounts and deals. What's that long-term cost? And so, yeah, I'm not just curious to see what your method was on that. Perfect. And of course, there's the other nothing campaigns wrong with or strategies you want to highlight here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but where and when you're doing it, right? You just three or four yeah. hours earlier, you, they just saw it. Now it's even cheaper in that language. You probably put never before seen before, and you're never going to get this again. In fact, you'll get better price. Here's cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> you devalue the product over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the other part. It's not only signaling you have no integrity. It's also signaling you don't value your own product. So yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, yeah. The only other thing I'd add for this uh, automation point is um, then after we do that, we'll put them in a sequence to uh, recommend all our other products first. Now, of course, if the person watching this doesn't have any other products, then, you know, fair enough. But even if you have two upsell products, right, you can still put them through a sequence for that. And so we'll go between, um, and basically, you know, because as I said, we got seven or eight products now. So basically, we will keep offering each of our other products alternately until they buy it. And then we remove that one. And then we just recommend recommend all the other products that we haven't bought that, that they haven't bought yet and then we'll remove that one and then they'll only get emails about products that they haven't already bought the reason why i feel this is so important usually the reason why i feel this is so important because again it shows that you're paying attention that you care one of the other things that annoys me so much other than receiving no reply uh email from no reply email addresses is when you buy something and then they relentlessly send you emails recommending telling you that you need to buy it. and it's like why are you doing this and it just makes you if you don't unsubscribe you shut off like emotionally right you're like you, you don't yeah. care about me you have no idea what's going on in me i don't trust you i don't want to hear from you right I'm, and certainly i'm you... not going to buy how do you approach that with like rebuys when like if they bought three bottles and their 90 days is up for whatever product they might have bought? Like That's the yeah, last I'd... one I was going to say. <laughs> the last Man, one. We're just had. You're just setting up. It's perfect. <laughs> Simpatico here. You just need Thomas to follow you around here, Ellen, for all your perfect conversation. Uh, so the last one I was going to say that we have automated is a reorder campaign. And so that's based on uh, around, you know, 20, 27 days, something like that, because presuming a bit of chipping time, we want them to order a little bit before if it's a 30-day product around 85 days if it's a 90-day product something like that there'll be a um a reorder campaign the reorder campaign will be first of all asking them how it how they enjoy the product with a like a, a survey or a review thing or something like that and then oh by the way and we'll offer the you know the usual discount second one will be uh, did you not like the product? We'll actually invite criticism um, and let us know I if there's that, any problem. Yeah. Let us know if it didn't work for you, right? And and also listing some of the reasons. Maybe it didn't work because, you know, you're on low, well, let's use weight loss as an easy example again. Maybe it didn't work because you're gorging on donuts and pizza or whatever, right? Like obvious examples. Maybe it didn't work because you didn't do any kind of exercise. So we'll you know, could it be this? Could it be that? Right. And then the third one will be oh, sorry, uh, for, reminding for the, them all the benefits. For that second email that did you not like it thing? Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about that one. Like, is that, are you actually prompting responses 
to that email or like, or where, what are you trying to do with we that? Are you trying them. to get them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We ask for them. We say, you know, did it not work for you? Here's a bunch of reasons why it might not have worked for you. Please tell us if it didn't work for you. And then by the way, it's available right now at a discount. If you feel like we've resolved your concern already with our, you know, reasons why it might not do work. You- I understand you might, you might not have this in front of you. Like, are the open rates on that email decent? Like, is that like a, I feel like that's like a bit of a disruptive email that I wouldn't really expect to see from a brand. Um, <laughs> the open rates are better than the other ones. Yeah. Like in that sequence. Yep. Yeah. I, I love that email. I feel like it would help reduce refunds or at least help catch things like that because they actually have a outlet again, right? They, yeah. Obviously they have the phone support from you, but now you have, Hey, what's going on? It's almost like this, like, it's not like a guilt thing a little bit. It's like, Ooh, like, yeah, maybe I should respond to this. Like I actually do care. Yeah. Well, I think it, it's definitely a welcome mat of feedback, which mm-hmm. really it, it reduces a lot of friction that you might have going into that type of situation. I think the, the key thing there isn't just inviting the feedback. It's giving examples. Yeah. That, that's, I think actually where it really it shows a lot of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there's enough people know that from a sales tactic, if someone says no, or they don't want to rebuy, anything you say about why is going to be used against you, right? Like it's like your Miranda rights. You're like, I better not say anything. But when they're like, hey, what could have been this and this and this, it sounds like high self-awareness, not high pressure, um, which which makes people feel a lot more comfortable to share because if like, oh, they're admitting there's things that could be wrong. Um, you just want to engage in that response. So I, I think not only the fact that it's different to ask, hey, you know, what do you not like about it? Why would you not buy? Um, but but also giving the the recommendations of what could have gone wrong really, really transforms that. Um, now, I, just to bring it back to you, Owen, on that point, because um, I know we still have two other things to cover here, so we probably should speed along or else we're going to have a Joe Rogan-style podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. But do you find if someone said, well, hey, why would you want to invite or give them examples? What's kind of your response to that? Because I, I imagine a lot of people might feel like that's a, uh, a bit risky to give the reasons why they shouldn't buy in an email. Well, first of all, you're not doing it before they buy, you're doing it after they've had a chance to use it for a while, right? So if yep. if they have not had the negative outcome, then they're not gonna look at the email or it's not gonna affect them negatively. But if they have, it shows that you care, it shows that you understand, and you know we'll try and also recommend you know solutions i'm struggling to think of a hypothetical right now um but you know it can be a case of were you having it with food that stops it being absorbed try having it without food you know like various things like that right that mm-hmm. you, you're actually suggesting things that could potentially help so Perfect. Cool. That's awesome. All right. Well, let's now we caught, we covered a lot of sequence stuff and um, I should just serve it up to Thomas because he'll probably do a per- perfect transition question. But um, <laughs> let's just jump into kind of the third thing you already kind of talking about this um, in terms of credibility. So why don't you tell us what the third thing you think is really key um, for driving those that high LTV in the back end? So I think the kind of business click bank, this is the one that they're least going to want to hear, but I do think it's important. And that's having um, a real brand based on a real person. Does it have to be based on a real person? Can it be an abstract brand? Yes, it you know it can be, but it's so much better if it is with a real person. Now, having said that, our industry, because it's this kind of adult material stuff, um, our spokesperson, which is not me for that business, um, 
he does not use he uses a pen name but it's his real image and most importantly everything he says is real right so he's not imagining that he's a character and then speaking everything he's talking about is his own experience his own stories his own life his own opinions whatever and to me there's something really and I know that people would prefer to just hire a spoke person or these days, you know, create uh, an artificial one using AI and uh, stuff like that. And even before AI, still creating an artificial one. But I feel like there's something about it being real, which is crucially important. And so even if, you know, you don't want your name or your face out there, I think you could use a pen name. You could even use a not real image. But I think that the messaging should come from a particular person who has a real interest in the area, like whatever it may be. So let's say if it's weight loss, it's someone who actually cares about weight loss, right? And why I feel like most of the, like if you look at the world of fiction, most of like the best stories throughout history, we're talking about the Odyssey or the Iliad or stuff like that, or, or the Bible or whatever, the best-selling book of all time. Or if we're talking about... Um, you know, more recent things like, uh, you know, TV shows, maybe Sopranos is considered the best of all time. They're, they're very often based on reality. And that, and a lot of the, so even with something like Sopranos is an example, I think Silicon Valley is an example. The reason why it's so good and it's so relatable is because most of the stories in there are actually real. They're just picking, you know, like the, the series is maybe not realistic because there's so many different things happening to these people in, in one timeline, but every story did actually happen to someone and probably similar for, you know, a lot of those ancient stories, right? The Bible and, you know, whatever we, whatever it might be, like, we don't know how exactly accurate it is to history, but it's the fact it's based on history, I feel like gives it a really, really um, uh, uh, strong impact. So yeah, I just feel like, reality is all authenticity is always better than a fake persona or even an ai generated uh, persona people can tell and i wish this weren't the case i've worked with you know a, a lot of people and i see when they use like a, a fake persona it never feels real and it never works well i mean maybe there is examples that i don't know about but all the now Having said that, I know there are businesses that just hire a front person. That person is just a front person, and that's great. But I'm saying if all the messaging comes from someone who really doesn't care about the person's cares, about their frustrations, about their goals, then I feel like it will not. you will not get that long-term LTV. People won't keep coming back. They won't trust you in the same way. No, I, I think that that really vets out. And I could even even further example, um, if you look at things that aren't necessarily always framed on history, uh, if you look at like abstract, like science fiction, right, or real events um, in, in fantasy, the, the most powerful stories there are still based on real human emotion. And we take abstract situations to create real human experiences. So, um, so I think when you go back to that level of authenticity and content and, and over the long term, because we're not talking about, could you fake a short-term impression? Of course you can, right? You can put a good front man, you get some good content writers, and maybe that first interaction is enough 
But over time, um, that stuff kind of, you know, erodes away and you're left with whatever is left there with you. And if you don't have that real passion and the real content consistently over time, I agree with you. It seems to, um, you know, the, the lack of authenticity and realness kind of goes away over time. You're not going to get people coming back because you can't be a source of truth if there's nothing really truthful underneath it, um, at least not forever. So, um, or unless you're a sociopath, but hopefully we have less of those and more real people um, that, that just do, do the right thing or at least uh, speak some truth. So anything to add to that, Thomas? What do you think about that? I don't know a lot to add to it. I think you've covered it pretty well. Like I've, you see examples, with like, in, especially in like the dating niche, right? Where things are um, similar to yours, but not a little different, but it's a, offers with like real people, even if they are pen names that seem to do well and content based around those. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I've got Hang a on. bunch of questions around like the data of everything. I don't want to like steer this <laughs> yeah. conversation another way, but <laughs> no, 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 that's like good. To- that's a great transition. But yeah, what are you going to say, Ellen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to add one more point, which is, so the other thing is, and to me, this is such a wasted resource. So people will send tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of visits to a sales page, whether it would be a video or, or a long form sales page, and they'll have this personality there, right? Usually it'll be some kind of name, some kind of face. And then what happens when that person watching or reading that Googles that person, right? Usually in the bank world, nothing. Right? What happens if they look them up on Facebook? What happens if they look them up on YouTube? Nothing. The person doesn't exist. And then the person who's just done that Google search is going to go, oh, this is a scam. Well, it's not necessarily a scam, right? It might be a great product. You might be doing everything else. But just the fact that there's no tr- paper trail, like this person doesn't seem to exist, because we live in that social media age where if you don't have a bunch of different profiles, who the hell are you right like like normal people who do normal jobs have like a a massive digital footprint whereby you can know everything about their lives how is it that you famous doctor famous expert famous whatever when i look you up i can find nothing about you right so it just doesn't ring as true and i also think it's a massively wasted opportunity so if you bring in a real expert if you are not the expert or if you are the expert yourself then you actually have a mutually beneficial situation going on there, which is all the people who you're sending traffic to your sales material, they look up that person and it drives traffic to their social channel. Um, and then on the other side, the person who has the, the, the social channels or, or whatever, they can drive traffic to your offer. So it's a mutually beneficial situation um, when you have that. And it just seems to me to be such a shame and I realize if you're making millions of dollars and you're happy and you don't think about this stuff. But to me, I'm always like trying to like, you know, optimize. And it just seems like a shame that out of the 98.5% of people who don't buy, right, that a certain percentage will have probably looked you up and then seen that you don't exist. And you could have, you know, made those people a Facebook follower or a YouTube subscriber or a TikTok follower or, you know, even better, they go to your website because you rank highly and then they opt into your page and now they're in your system that way. Like, yeah, so if that's the other aspect of it from a monetary point of view, that just seems such a waste to me. Yeah, it's it's a huge opportunity. Affiliates and the acquisition that they provide, it's actually a great way to build an audience um, on a social platform if you have that when you have a real person behind it. Um, And we have lots of examples of that, um, you know, whether it's like Thomas Lauer grew his influence even more through direct response after he got paired with products. Uh, Danette May was an example of somebody that really 
elevated their social presence um, through direct response in an offer. So lots of times. Mm -hmm. But that being said, Owen, if you just want to get around, all you have to say is Big Pharma. Big Pharma took all my socials down. They're just uh, keeping me <laughs> keeping me down from everything. Just kidding, guys. It's not compliant. Don't say that. So, um, but now, so th that's a great transition. Um, Thomas, you said some numbers. So you had some number-oriented questions. Let's jump into a couple numbers, and then we'll actually go into, I think, the key thing that we led with, which is the custom formulation and how to do that, how to do that right and why that's impactful also. So um, first, let's jump into some numbers. Well, yeah, um, we had Tyler Ryan on from LTV Numbers recently, right? He went all into, you know, kind of how he's tracking LTV numbers and how he does all this. Um, finding accurate LTV is so important. I was curious how you back into LTV on your side and how you like to kind of approach the actual data crunching there and how that feeds into the front end of it. I know how it works in theory, but just real specific on like how you're actually compiling those numbers. We're not off on top of it as we should be. And part of the problem is that we, we use ClickBank, but ClickBank isn't our only source. So it is all aggravated in Entreport. We have, we also, you know, these days have a Shopify store that doesn't do very much, but it does volume without paying the affiliate commission. So in terms of profitability, it's good. Um, but then we have Entreport. We have, um, so we have sales coming in directly through Entreport. We have sales going directly through ClickBank. The reason why that matters is because all the Shopify and Entreport sales numbers are total revenue, but all the ClickBank money coming in is only revenue after various degrees of affiliate commissions and commissions have been paid. So unfortunately, seeing it completely accurately is very difficult for that reason because we never actually know the total revenue that's coming in from ClickBank. Um, but I can tell you years ago, we stopped counting kind of when it was over $500 LTV. So it's not you know, amazing, but it's good enough. Um, I, I, you know, given most people, as we say, don't get, don't get much in sales before, you know, beyond the first order, I think it's, you know, certainly a lot higher. The thing is the, obviously the LTV doesn't have to be that much higher to triple your product uh, profit, for instance, right? So if you've got like $150 cost for, you know, average cost per order, between the affiliate commissions and the product and the shipping and the fulfillment and whatever else, other variable costs like that you may have, then if you make $200, then that's a $50 product. If you make 250, that's a $100 product. So you just doubled it by only increasing your LTV a little bit. So, but yeah, $500 is what it was a few years ago. And the other thing is, of course, it's, again, we don't know how to calculate correctly. And I could probably watch that episode because all the new people are coming in they're always included in the total, but we don't know what they're going to buy over their lifetime yet. So that always reduces it from what probably the true figure is. So I'm actually not as on top of it as should be. That's why I use nice. the how much the top customers have spent metric instead. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. No, we, well, we might should, know uh, a guy. Get you connected to Tyler. Yeah. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. he solves for all that data aggregation piece and like tying it all back together and back to attribution and all that. And that yeah. sounds awesome. Turns um, out to, to figure out LTV, all you need is a NASA scientist. That's all you need, <laughs> just one of them. So easy, yeah. yeah simple. So, oh, well, that's I fantastic. Just so using one sales channel, it's not too bad. Like in Shopify, yeah. I can see it quite easily. But yeah. yeah, once you use multiple sales channels, including, yeah. Which normally happens pretty fast too. So it doesn't take long before you have more than one. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's go on to the, the custom formulation side. So that being the fourth pillar um, to really boosting up that LTV. Um, and, and I imagine a pretty important one too. So talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, it's really the most important one, right? We've left the best all last. Um, because if your product doesn't help the person at least to some degree or in some way, then uh, they're not going to keep buying it. They're more likely to refund. They're more likely to charge back. They're also more likely to tell other people that your product sucks, leave a negative review, all of that kind of stuff, right? So there's two factors involved with this. Um, first of all is how well your product worked. And second factor is how inflated the claims that you've made are, right? Uh, meaning, if your product um, you know, is good for a person, for instance, but does not have noticeable benefits, which is true of a lot of you know, just plain vitamin supplements, for instance, that's totally fine. And people will carry on buying it for years in many cases, as long as you don't tell them that they're suddenly going to feel on top of the world if they have it, right? So you have to be you know, uh, honest and realistic with the claims that you make. But better, obviously, in our world, in our direct response market, is to not rely on the faith of the customer that it must be doing something and to actually find areas where you can formulate products that actually do make a noticeable difference in a significant percentage of people at least of course you know it's impossible to formulate a product that will help everyone in in the vast majority of cases even most pharmaceuticals right don't claim to do that there's always potentially reasons and so certainly with a nutraceutical there's there's reasons but you want it to help you know the vast majority of people that's what you're actually looking for because this is really looking on i think it's important to know that you're you're wanting to extract the max out of a hyperactive buyer right someone that is going to work for it, it's going to make a difference they're going to come back time and time again that's the goal right Absolutely, 100%. And yeah. they'll buy your other products, right? Especially if mm -hmm. you know, you've got other products that are uh, about different but related issues that they probably suffer from as well, then uh, uh, and that's where I, you know, I recommend we kind of skipped over this a little bit, but like uh, integrated product suite is the way I've heard it described, right? A bunch of complementary offers, because mm -hmm. what we do is whatever initial offer they come in on, we'll then offer them everything else that we do basically and we'll do that with each of them so if all the products you do are in an integrated suite like that you know if there's you know um uh, weight optimization heart optimization blood sugar optimization like often those will all come together someone who needs one will often need the other two as well yeah. And so yeah doing doing it that way if one if what because here's the crazy thing i think that most people buy these things not expecting them to work right they're almost buying them like a lottery ticket like i don't think it's going to work i've been lied to too many times but on the other hand i really want to get this outcome and you know and i'm feeling optimistic i'm feeling hopeful so i'll just try it right and so if your product does anything good for them and i think that's where you have to make sure that you formulate a product that will at least always do something good for them even if it doesn't necessarily resolve everything um then they're actually going to be amazed mm -hmm. um i remember you know i did surveys a long time ago in a different business about um uh the product and it was like how pleased are you you know between one and five for instance you know extremely pleased very pleased quite pleased you know whatever and then there was also how big a results have you got huge results big results medium results you know small results no results something like that and 
in terms of what results they got, like the average score was like medium to small results. And then the average level of satisfaction was huge to big. So, <laughs> that, uh, you know, and this was hundreds of survey respondents on, I think, quite a, you know, expensive set of products. So they, they probably had high hopes for it. And so it just, it was interesting to me that they didn't, obviously, like the results, they, I mean, I was a bit disappointed with that. I, I, you know, I wished at the time that the results they got are actually higher, but I was very interested to see that um, it didn't take much for them to be delighted, you know, and like 95% of them said they sh told friends that they should try it too and all this other stuff. So um, I, I think having, you know, realistic, but, you know, your ambition should be to create a product that the customer will definitely noticeably benefit from. I guess that's the point. And then they will be amazed and they will be delighted. Yeah. And they'll always know that it's working and want to keep buying it again and again because they also know when it's not there. Um, so, so that being said, I think that sounds amazing. A lot of people are like, great. Can't white label do that? Or why do I have to go custom formulation? Or more importantly, how the hell do I custom formulate a supplement <laughs> or find a white label that, that's going to do that? Because I myself might not be a passionate you know, person when it comes to supplement formulation and the different types of nutrients and vitamins that you could have. So kind of walk us through what, what does it take to formulate the right supplement to make it actually work or at least feel like it's doing something? I'm not against using white label. I think some of the white label formulas are actually pretty good and can really help people. Um, and I think obviously it's a really good way of starting a business and testing stuff and all the rest of it. But yeah, I feel like if you want that long-term value, once you've proven, once you've proven that, you know, the front end acquisition can work with a white label product, you then want to go to a, a custom one. Um, well, I can answer how I do it compared to, how most people do it who are formulators i'll start with that because that's very easy to describe um at best what they'll do is they'll look um for a bunch of ingredients that have some degree of scientific validity for that outcome and then they'll put a list of that together and then they'll say it's got to be under this price um <laughs> and then they'll formulate it based on that the problem with that is that, uh, first of all, they don't really understand the issue, which I'll talk about in a second when I talk about how I do it. And then second of all, um, because they don't, they often end up using the wrong amounts of different things. So a, pro a formula that could have worked with the right level of those ingredients ends up not actually being any good. But I'll explain because that like cost, They have to lower it down, and that might be an expensive ingredient. So you remove efficacy just based on... A very decisions, but I imagine cost is probably a big one oftentimes. Yeah, but this is not to say you have to spend a lot because it's, it's definitely partly cost, but it's also partly just not understanding mm. um, what how these ingredients actually work, how they might help a person. In, <clears throat> in my experience, it's one or two ingredients in a formula that really drive the results in a formula in many, if not most cases. The reason why you don't just sell that one or two ingredients is first of all, because it is better to have complementary ones. But second of all, because you sell a one ingredient product, it's probably not going to work very well in a ClickBank format because people too easily are going to go, oh, I can just go and buy that 
you know, more cheaply somewhere else. So you have to. Oh, you're just comparing like magnesium to what's on the shelf at Walmart or something, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you've got to have several ingredients and it's good to have several ingredients, but people often forget. And then let's say the main thing that would help is magnesium. So, you know, let's say the issue is um, stress, for instance, magnesium can help with that. Um, So, you know, they might end up having a very small amount of magnesium in there, along with a load of other products that don't work as well for that. And then the product doesn't work. So I think that's part of it as well. It's just they don't actually understand it. So, yeah, let me talk you through my process quickly. Um, so the very first thing that I try and do is I do not look for ingredients. I look to understand the root cause of the actual health challenge, health issue. Um, performance issue, maybe in the case of sports stuff or whatever. That's not always easy to do. Um but what I tend to do is I'll look on YouTube and I'll look on Amazon and I'll primarily do it for Amazon and on Amazon, I'll look for the, the biggest, the most reviewed books in a specific area. So for instance, I did thyroid recently. So when I did that, I got, I, I got six books from Amazon from different doctors and I read them all and I looked for the commonality between them. Because what I noticed, for instance, with thyroid is half of the doctors said you should have high doses of iodine, but half the doctor says you should not have high doses of iodine. That's dangerous. You should have low doses. So in that case, I'm not including iodine, right? Because that's a contentious issue. Half of them say it's a bad idea. Okay. So I look for the commonalities. What do they say is, what do they all agree is good, right? What, what is no one arguing about? Um, and in the case of thyroid, it could be, you know, for instance, L-tyrosine. Everyone agrees that L-tyrosine is helpful. Okay, let's put that in there. So that's one of the things that I like to do. Um, I also look on YouTube just to find, um, and I'll do that less for experts, though I might find some experts there, and more to see people's actual experiences. A lot of people are sharing, you know, reviews, like their, you know, their testimonial or whatever of what it was like. And so I want to look at that, but I also do it because I want to look at the comments and I usually spend more time looking at the comments. I know some people do this on Reddit. That's fine. I just, for whatever reason, I'm not as keen on that. I think, you know, I want to know what, what the original thing is based on. So I like to have a YouTube video that I clearly understand and then to see what everyone else thinks about it. And I look at the different things that are recommended and what people think about that right so someone says uh you know magnesium really great for anxiety in a video great what do all the comments say does it help them does it not what are they confused about what do they need clarity about uh they you know what are they asking what are they saying work for them and then the last thing is when i do get some kind of idea about the ingredients I'll then look for again highly rated products that contain those ingredients and again look for reviews look for people sharing their experiences Um, And so all of that together gives me an idea because, yes, I do use scientific studies and scientific references as well and scientific articles, but the scientific world is not super helpful for nutritional supplements, unfortunately. It's a whole thing, right, because it's not patentable. There's very little money put into it, so the studies normally aren't great. Um, Second of all, as a lot of us are discovering the whole scientific world is actually very corrupt 
um and you know heavily influenced and and all the rest of it without getting into i won't go into any more of it than that but that's a different and so podcast. therefore <laughs> yeah <laughs> but therefore they're not 100 percent trustworthy even if they're praising your supplement that ingredient that's the key point right like i would not only base it on studies i want to see a lot of real people who have no um what's the word uh, no skin in the game, right? It doesn't benefit them to put reviews or to put comments underneath videos or to put reviews underneath books saying this changed my life. They do it anyway because it actually helped them. And so that's what I want to see. That's the kind of feedback that I want to see as well as scientific studies. No, it's so, definitely great. Well, real fast, just one I think it's a really great deviation mm -hmm. there because it's the it's your scientific research. And what I love there that I don't think a lot of people do is instead of picking the science you like, you're finding the correlation between all the sciences together. Super great distinction. And second, pairing it with, okay, great, everyone says this works. Do people recognize that it does? So I think that's huge, right? Because maybe it works, but it's something that you won't feel any different about it, and it'll take like two months before it gets going. Maybe that's not great for a supplement because you need some immediacy, <laughs> some urgency for someone to feel like they're doing now um, because I think an impulsive person to ask them to wait three months for something to feel good is a really dangerous proposition. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think that's just really good in that tactic that you're taking unified science, then a unified customer experience to get that immediate impact. Um, I, I think it's really, really smart. Whether that's Reddit or YouTube, make a great sale for YouTube there. Um, but but that's really, really awesome. So next, what do you do from there? Uh, so then I base the doses i do base those on studies i look at a bit of anecdotal evidence as well but you know if i see commonalities of most saying oh when i took over 500 milligrams then it worked you know i might pay attention to that but i will usually base that on studies right so i've decided on my top one or two ingredients that are going to do most of the work i've decided i've looked at all the other things that i can add if i can add them cheaply and also without bulking out the formula too much <laughs> i remember i was working with someone recently to formulate something for them and like they had very specific ideas what they wanted in there and um if we were to do it i think there was a 16 capsule dose per day or something <laughs> like that <laughs> and i was like we're gonna have to uh you know tone these down a little bit we're gonna have to reduce yeah, some I'm of just these kidding, man. the um, handful of like supplements that like bodybuilders <laughs> take like that's even taking it too far geez 16 <laughs> Yeah, so that's going to be uh, whatever it was going to be, 480 capsules a month, and it's uh, going to cost them $50. And he's like, okay, yeah. okay, we'll, we'll, we'll trim it down then. Um, so, you know, look, you got making sure you've got plenty of your one or two ingredients that are doing most of the work um, will be the most important thing. And then, you know, adding in sufficient quantities of your other things that help. I mean, explaining this, I mean, you know, a simple example might be curcumin and um, uh, bioperin or, um, you know, pepper extract. So basically, whenever you have curcumin, you know, one of the most researched anti-inflammatories, you always want to have this black pepper extract because without it, the curcumin won't be absorbed, right? So that's like an example of that. And you have to be in that world a little bit to know that kind of stuff. Um, and so, you know, for instance, with the B vitamins, if, if I do a, you know, a formula, one of the B vitamins is a major ingredient that I'm going to make sure I have just small levels of all the other B vitamins because they are complementary and they tend to work together. And also if you don't include them, then it, the other ones can become depleted if you have a big dose of one. So it's that kind of stuff you have to, you know, have a bit of specialized knowledge in that. Or again, you find, you read the books by the doctors that, you know, will explain all that to you. And then there's also safety considerations, right? So there'll, there'll sometimes, 
it will sometimes be the case that I won't include an ingredient, which is very powerful for something. I just had this recently, uh, like alpha lipoic acid. I saw that very high doses of alpha lipoic acid had loads of evidence and studies and reviews of people saying it really helped with this issue. But then I also know that alpha lipoic acid in high doses, if you have heavy metal toxicity, if you have uh, like mercury, you know, built up in your tissues and stuff like that, it will start to mobilize that and move into your bloodstream, which will then make mm. you feel very sick. So that's an example of maybe a lot of people wouldn't necessarily know that without doing the work on it. Because if you just look up alpha lipoic acid side effects on WebMD, you're not necessarily going to find that. So that's the kind of thing that you'd find again by, you know, looking at reading books on Amazon or looking at YouTube videos, maybe they're more specialized. Um, so, I'm like, okay, I know it will help, you know, 90% of people, but I know there might, there's probably are at least 10% of people who have heavy metal toxicity because that's commonly a cause of this problem in the first place. So I'm not going to include a large amount of that ingredient because I don't want to create that side effect. Mm -hmm. And there's numerous examples of that. Unfortunately, you have to take that on a case by case basis. There's almost nothing that doesn't disagree with someone, right? So as so long as you state clearly on the label that the ingredient is in there, then it's ultimately down to the you know the consumer to be responsible for what they have. But it's you know a question of um, is it worth it? And then the other aspect is quality, right? So you're going to put in vitamin B12, vitamin B12, for instance. That's a very ubiquitous ingredient. It's very cheap. But are you going to put in cyanocobalamin, which is actually the form of B12 that's bound to cyanide? yes, cyanide, that over time is building up cyanide in your system and is not absorbed very well? Or are you going to go for mm. a methylcobalamin, which is the best absorbed type of vitamin B12, but for some people it can cause issues because of its methylation action? Or are you going to go for adenocobalamin, which is well absorbed by the body as well and safe, but a little bit harder to get hold of, or it's a little bit more expensive. So these are the kind of considerations as well you want to look at with actually the, the quality ingredient. You don't want to assume that they're all the same. In fact, in some cases, like the bad form of the ingredient is worse than not having it. Like folic acid is an example of that, another B vitamin. Um, just folic acid, if you take it, will block your folate receptors. Um, which means that your body can't then take in the real folate and will actually make a folate deficiency worse. So if you want to, you know, give people a folic acid supplement, then you want to give them either calcium folinate, folinic acid, or um, L-methyl uh, uh, folate. So, and again, there are reasons why you do and don't want to include those ones. So it's worth Essentially, learning it's, it's about a bit of a, stuff. Yeah, it's a bit of minefield, right? Because it, it's not just what you put in your can body be. in the supplement. It can be how it correlates with others, can not be, can be simple, right? It's just a whole spectrum. It's like a mystery box of whatever you want. You could probably <laughs> find the problem and solution all in the same place. So um, that being said, so it sounds I'll like include, the, the big can thing I is time and research. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so zinc, right? Zinc supplement is really popular these days because of the, the recent viral infections. You know, a lot of people are taking 50 milligrams a day of zinc. But did you know if you take 50 milligrams a day of zinc long term, you're going to deplete your reserves of copper, you're going to deplete your reserves of molybdenum, you're even going to potentially deplete iron, although that's more of an issue for women than men. So you can do or, or vitamin D3, you take 5000 IUs of vitamin D3 a day because you heard it's good for immune system over time. Um, 
you're going to get more and more calcium building up in your tissues because you're not having enough of the vitamin K2 with it. So you may say, you know, how does this help um, to make more money? Perhaps it doesn't necessarily because a lot of the time the customer will not know that you're having this negative effect on them without realizing it by using the cheap version of the ingredient or using too much of the wrong ingredient or, you know, in the case of zinc, you'd want a little bit of copper with it, for instance, to to keep it balanced. Um, Well, it, it it matters in the integrity space that we talked about. It matters on the does it actually work for the customer space? Because remember, they may not know that about cyanocobalamin or that high amounts of zinc will deplete their copper, but they may just feel after a couple of months of taking a product that I don't feel so good. I don't like it. Like, you know, a lot of people are tuned into their body and that gut instinct. I don't really want that, you know? So you might not think that it matters, but again, if you're trying to create a real business and get that long-term customer, um, and also if you want to be ethical, I would say, and, you know, that kind of doctor thing, first do no harm. uh, If you want to, you know, help people and, and minimize any harm that you might be doing, I think it's really important to understand this stuff or to have someone do it for you who, who, really understands it yeah on average just from a time can perspective especially um if you could tell me like what you think somebody doing this for the first time how long it would take them to get there versus even for you as someone that's done this a lot for a long time and for those that don't know elwin he definitely consumes a, a, a very above average amount of medical and nutritional information and science. So um, I think that's not an understatement <laughs> by any means, but, um, but yeah, to give me an idea of what you think it would take somebody trying the first time and then in general, even how it takes for you to come up with a formulation. It depends. Um, I can do it in a few weeks if there's a time crunch, but I pref- actually prefer to develop it over many months. You know, I prefer to be reading, you know, uh, listening, thinking about it, the whole, you know, creative process where your subconscious often spends a long time just processing something and then suddenly it spits out the answer. And, you know, you can rush that by putting a deadline on it. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking weeks to months. I'm not thinking, you know, a few hours um, if you really want to do all this like we talked about. Yeah. And so that would be for even the average person, um, they might, might be more six months for them potentially then. It, de- yeah, it, it depends. I mean, I, you know, I try and do these kind of guides on my YouTube channel where I talk about everything you need to know for a specific issue. So if they found someone like me who can break it all down for them, um, and there's plenty of other people who do that as well, you know, who I've enjoyed their work where they go through and really explain things in detail. It depends how long does it take you to read a book, I guess, you know, I mean, for me, if it's a reasonable sized book, it might be a couple of days, but you know, then again, this is my job, right? Um, but so yeah, if it takes you a month to read a book easily, it could be six months. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not winning my pizza awards for the summer reading club. So, <laughs> um, no, no, that, I, I, just the, the idea there is I think it, it's, it's not to say the process sounds well, this sounds really complicated, but it also sounds like a lot of work and a lot of understanding. So um, that being said, for some people I, really, oh, yep, go ahead. Can, can I, sorry, can I comment on that? Because yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this recently. I've just finished reading uh, Elon Musk's auto, uh, not auto, uh, Elon Musk biography, you know, mm-hmm. uh, by Walter Isaacson. And a lot of that struck me as interesting, but the one that's relevant, I'll say, is that did you know that he puts no focus at all on advertising or marketing and 
And yet he works 16 to 20 hour days, most days. Like he pushes himself ridiculously hard. You know, he often sleeps on the factory floor and stuff like that. Anyway, the thing that he's focused on all the time is product quality and how to make processes more efficient. Like, so I feel like I kind of, and he's the richest man in the world, at least on paper, right? And arguably the most imp impressive business person, certainly in our time, maybe even ever, right? If he ends up being successful even more than he already is. And so that's really interesting because I, you know, when I started in business, I learned that marketing is king and it's all about marketing and it's all about sales. And actually, you know, someone like that's perspective is I'm going to focus religiously on making the product quality as good as possible. And also the product, the process of manufacturing as efficient as possible. And because of that, the product's going to be so awesome. That it's going to sell itself. And that's the very thing that we're taught in every marketing course is delusional, right? This idea of if you just have a great product, then people will come. It's like, no, 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 you have to tell them about it. And I think um, both things can be true. If you have a very ordinary product, that's good. It's true that no one will just come, right? But if you have a product that is unusually exceptional, yes, even in the nutritional supplement space, um, it is possible that you will ultimately get a lot of sales through referrals and reviews and people just talking about how good your product is, which is what a lot of those businesses like Elon Musk's are, as I said, totally based on, I think Tesla, that's where the vast majority of his money has mm -hmm. come from. He's never paid for advertising for, you know, Tesla car. And yet I think Tesla's worth more than every other car company put together. So, you know, one of the, so I would say to people who think, you know, this is a lot of work or maybe it's going to be a lot of cost. The idea that all of your budget of a business should go to marketing, I think is a fundamentally flawed idea that has been sold to you by marketing consultants who make money selling you marketing stuff. Not that I'm against any of those people. I wouldn't be where I am without them. They're wonderful. Um, but what I'm saying is I think that a more, like, um, a certain percentage, a reasonable percentage of budget should actually be allocated to product quality, just like a reasonable amount of budget should be allocated to advertising and marketing. If you think about the pharmaceutical companies, one of the big criticisms of them is that they spend twice as much on marketing as they do on R&D. But if you look at our industry, <laughs> most people are so spending 90% like marketing. Yeah. <laughs> And compared to R&D, often nothing, right? They'll go to a manufacturer who gives them an off-the-shelf product. So it's an, they're, they're, they're spending infinity percent more um, on advertising and marketing than they are product development. And then no wonder you don't get those good long-term LTVs, right? No wonder yeah. you don't get those repeat customers. So um, yes, it, you know, it is an investment of time and or an investment of money, but I would say the idea that you can just have a product that costs almost nothing to develop or make and have a great long-term business out of that um, is possibly naive. Yeah. Well, no, uh, just to kind of build it again, just, I think one of the things that's the work should always, it's just, is there's going to be work no matter what that goes tied to it work for somebody else. They have to pay for work. You have to do yourself, but it comes at a, a payoff of, when the marketing meets a great product is when a great business is born. 
when an offer has great marketing with a bad product, that's just a great offer for a short period of time, right? Like that's the difference. If you want to chase another great offer every six to nine months and hope that you can hit that with consistency, how does that change when maybe, you know, you hit that offer, but it's got a great product behind it. And now that product continues to sell for years and years and years. And you have a winner for a decade for a winner for, you know, three quarters of a year. I, I think that's a really good way to think about it too, but um, to- totally agree that there should be more investment. With that being said, well, first Thomas, anything, um, anything you want to add or any other questions you have for Ellen? I just, yeah, I love that it all boils down to right to build something good, right? <laughs> build, whether it's build good <laughs> your operations, whether it's product quality, whether it's your marketing, right? Like if it's content marketing, write good stuff, produce good content, right? Whatever it is. It's like, if you do good stuff, it all gets a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So choose good. That's the message we really want. So for those that want to choose good <laughs> for themselves, like I said, Ellen has content walks through people. He's got, um, he's got a YouTube channel. He's got his own podcast. that goes really in depth. If you're like, Hey, Huberman's great. I want even more. Um, Ellen's got some content for you. Um, so definitely recommend that. And also, um, if you're just looking for some, some of the product formulation stuff from, you know, entry level, maybe it's improving something you already have. Um, Ellen has a lot of ways that he could really help out with that as well. Um, Ellen, is there just some best ways you want to share with people on how they can contact you and reach out to you? Um, emails that we'll be sure to put in the show notes. Um, and accurately, I know last time we ended up putting the wrong information in there. So we'll get sure, be sure to get the right stuff this time. Um, but yeah, how could people get a hold of you? Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me on, uh, um, well, probably best to email. So Elwin at feelyounger.net would be the uh, simplest way to get hold of me. And I guess you can share my YouTube channel. Yeah, if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, which apparently people have, they've locked me out and they refuse to let me back in. So uh, don't LinkedIn en- enemy uh, number one, Ellen Robinson. <laughs> Other- what's, your, what's, sorry, what's your YouTube channel? Uh, YouTube channel is YouTube, uh, whatever, dot com slash Elwin Robinson, E-L-W-I-N okay. Robinson. Uh, you should be able to find me with that. Um, and Twitter, I'm on there uh, at the real Elwin if you're a Twitter person. For sure. Is it Twitter X? Man, I've been following the fake Elwin this whole time. (laughs) Darn it, darn it. Um, Well, awesome, man. I really, really appreciate the time. Again, guys, I think it's so key. And just to kind of circle this back, um, you know, oftentimes acquisition is sexy. It's fun. It's really exciting to see high top line revenues. But if that high top line revenue is costing you everything um, without having a good high quality backend strategy with a high quality product, you're going to be chasing that type of revenue all the time. So I would encourage all of you to start up-leveling the products. Not, again, let's get those custom formulations. Let's get the full backend with Ecom Store, the, the sequence, the authority, all that stuff, and enjoy sustainable businesses that last a little bit longer and make those, hin- um, those big wins become something that's more of a lifetime than it is a couple of months. So I'm um, really, really appreciate your time, Ellen. Really, really appreciate this conversation. And I'm excited to see some people reach out and up-level um, their entire supplement game so we can see some really cool stuff going in the future. And with that, uh, you know, until next time, please rate, review, subscribe, smash the like button, the bell, whatever the thing is that you're supposed to do on social. You know, you're here, you're using it, probably more than I am. And Thomas, what do we tell the people on their way out? Happy scaling. All right. Thanks, guys. Until next time. Bye.